Well, thank you, Aaron, and choir and orchestra for leading us in worship today. Well, as you know, our theme for 2022 here at First Baptist Arlington is re. And we are going to look at various biblical words that begin with that prefix, as well as other words that just have come from uh, our theological perspective. And I'm really looking forward to this journey with you this year. And we have chosen to begin the winter season focusing on this word, reflect. And it is a season of reflection for us. And this past week in our spiritual discipline packet, uh, we had the, uh, the guidance to spend a week in silence and solitude and take some time to just reflect upon who God is and what he's done for us. This week, uh, as I mentioned earlier, our uh, assignment is service and sacrifice for the week of January the 16th. And Kurt Grice has written this material for us. I appreciate Kurt's theological perspective and his spiritual commitment, his knowledge of the Bible. And so he has provided this challenge for us. And this, this card just serves as a guide. And I, I hope that you will spend some time reflecting this week on service and sacrifice and engaging yourself in it during this season of reflection. We've chosen the 23rd Psalm to serve as the core text for us during this winter season. And so each Sunday, we're going to just make our way through it line by line. So if you have your copy of the Old Testament, let's look at it this morning. We've, we heard Brother Bob lead us already in the King James Version of the 23rd Psalm. And thank you, Bob, for that. I think the Lord has been your shepherd for a long time, Bob. Is that not true? And so... Thank you for sharing your ministry here at our church for all these years and then leading us in this recitation from that very familiar passage. I told Bob, it's sometimes it's hard for me to read some of these passages out loud, out loud from the NIV because I get ahead of myself in the King James. And so I have to pace myself a little bit. And the 23rd Psalm is one of those, but it gives us a little different nuance, if you will. So let's look at this text where the, the, the NIV translates it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, today I want us to focus on this phrase, I lack nothing, in verse 1. Wanting for nothing is the title of this message today. Wanting for nothing. So we'll begin with just a reminder of what we learned last Sunday, and that is that the Lord is shepherding me. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and obviously this morning we're reading it in various translations in English. But it's interesting that that word that's translated shepherd in verse one, in that very first phrase, is actually a participle in Hebrew. Now, typically when you translate a participle into English, it you will use 
I-N-G as an ending. That's just very common. Context normally dictates how and when you choose to do that. And so obviously most translators have chosen to translate this, the Lord is my shepherd. And that is a legitimate translation. Duh. I mean, that's what scholars have decided. However, the implication of that participial phrase could also be worded this way. The Lord is shepherding me. It has this connotation of action just bound up in it. The idea, of course, is the imagery is we are sheep and we need shepherding. Now, here is the core fundamental basic temptation that every human being faces. Every human being faces this core temptation. Just be your own shepherd. You don't need the Lord to be your shepherd. Just be your own shepherd. Be in charge. Be your own owner, manager, caretaker, provider, guide. Run your own show. Just be independent. Be your own woman. Be your own man. Flex your own muscles. Live life as you choose. Now I would contend here in the 21st century As American Christians, we have our work cut out for us because most Americans have given in and succumbed to that temptation. Most Americans are their own shepherds. They are large and in charge of their own lives. They are their own guides, their own owners, and they run their own show. So if we're going to admit that we need shepherding, I will promise you in this society, you're going to swim upstream because most people in America don't live that way. How do I know that? Well, there's evidence. I can sum up the evidence with one word, more. You see, that's the mantra of my society. That is the call of contemporary American society. There is a profound driving impetus for more no matter what. It's interesting to me. Uh, There is a professor at Loyola Marymount University, Christopher Kexor. And he has been studying this phenomenon. And here's what's interesting about Americans. When they are asked this question, how much more will it take for you to be comfortable? You know, the the general answer, the most common answer among Americans is this, about 10% more. About 10% more. Here's what's fascinating. It doesn't matter. When Americans who make $30,000 a year, $60,000 a year, $250,000 a year, or over a million dollars a year, every member of that strata, according to this research, when asked, 
What will it take for you to be comfortable no matter where you fit? The answer that Americans give is about 10% more. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> now, let me, let me make sure, don't get me wrong. The desire for more can be beneficial. In fact, I would say it can be a healthy sign of life. And the desire to be productive, to be useful, I believe is a very healthy thing. However, it can also become incredibly selfish, self-aggrandizing. It can wreak havoc on individuals and upon the people who are around them. Ellen Goodman, she says this about what happens to us. She says, normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work and driving through traffic in a car that you're still paying for in order to get to the job, you need to pay for the clothes and the car and the house that you leave vacant all day so that you can afford to live in it. <clears throat> That's normal in America. It's interesting, isn't it? Some of you may remember Pat Riley. He was the longtime NBA basketball coach. He supposedly is credited with popularizing the phrase, the disease of more. And Pat Riley said that he began to notice that many championship pro teams in the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the National Hockey League don't repeat. He said he began to wonder about that and this is his conclusion. He says the players want more. At first, that more was winning the championship. But once players have that championship, it's no longer enough. The more becomes other things, more money, more TV commercials, more endorsements, more accolades, more playing time, more plays called for them, more media attention as a result, what was once a cohesive group of hardworking men begins to fray, egos get involved, Gatorade bottles are thrown and the mental attitude of the team changes and their perfect chemistry becomes a toxic mess. Players feel entitled to ignore the small routine tasks that actually win championships, believing they've earned the right to not do it anymore. Then that which the most, that was the most talented team ends up failing. What they didn't realize is what they were trading off. They were no longer able to focus on the nitty gritty of basketball as a team they suffered. And ultimately they were dethroned, not by other better teams, but by forces within themselves. The disease of more. I don't know if you've been following the story of this actress, Lori Laughlin. Have you been following her story? She was sentenced to two months in federal prison for her role in the college admissions scandal. She's going to serve two years of supervised release during which she must perform 100 hours of community service and pay a fine of $150,000. Her husband and co-defendant, Massimo Giannulli, received five months in prison, a $250,000 fine, and 250 hours of community service. In the hearings, U.S. District Judge Nathaniel Gordon addressed both defendants, and let me read to you his quote. Here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me a convicted felon, and for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. Wow, what, what biting words of indictment. You see, for some people, if they're not careful, life deteriorates into a journey of simple accumulation. And that's all it is. 
You know, I, I think I've shown this to you before, but it's one of my favorite cartoons. Let me just show you this. It's this old man standing in front of his um, um, storage building. One day, son, all this will be yours. <laughs> wow. Well, if we're not careful, like I said, the desire for more can be beneficial. The desire to be productive can be very healthy, but it can very easily cross over a line and accumulation becomes the only goal. That's when it's disastrous. So what's the answer? To get more, right? Isn't that the answer? To just get more. Well, here's what I would contend. I think the answer is to allow the Lord to become your shepherd. I think that's the answer, really. Accept him as your owner, as your manager, as your provider, as your guide. Because in that dynamic relationship with our shepherd, the Lord, a miraculous change begins to take place. Where it doesn't matter our station in life. It doesn't matter how well-to-do we may be, how successful we might have become, or where we might find ourselves in a different place, economically or socially, wherever we may be, it doesn't matter. Once we enter into that dynamic relationship with our shepherd, a miraculous change begins to emerge, and the transforming work of the gospel begins to take root in a person's life. And we can be transformed. We don't have to surrender to low-aimed, individualistic, selfless and lives. We, we can all of a sudden be changed into to selfless, sacrificial servants of the kingdom of God. And a benevolent, generous spirit can emerge from that relationship with Jesus. And it's amazing to see it. I'm grateful to God that our church is filled with people who are in that dynamic relationship with God and they demonstrate a benevolent, philanthropic, generous spirit that emerges from accepting the Lord as their shepherd. It's a powerful thing. It takes time, it takes intentionality. It's a journey. You know, in, in this, this uh, guide we have this week, <clears throat> let, let me read to you from my brother, Kurt Grice. Kurt says, it's important to remember that our primary motivation for service is our love for God in response to his love for us. While we occasionally find ourselves sacrificing on behalf of someone we care for, that's not the point. It's love for God, not love for people that inspires us to serve and to sacrifice. Our passion for service and sacrifice is also informed by the realization that we have been truly blessed and blessed people, blessed people. As we keep growing deeper in our faith, we focus less on our rights and more on our responsibilities and we look for ways to serve rather than be served. Well, I agree with what Kurt says. And all that can take place through this dynamic relationship with Jesus. That's where the transformation takes place. That's where the reorientation occurs. <clears throat> and you can still be an incredibly dedicated and successful person who is dedicated to human achievement. However, it's tempered by and it results in generosity and service. See, that's when it's so beautiful. It, it doesn't matter where you happen to be in your station in life, what, what particular strata you find yourself in. The challenges are very similar, 
And the miracle can be just as profound regardless of who you are because God changes us. You know, we're, we're getting ready to go back to Rome um, and I'm looking forward to finally being back there after a couple of years of our trip not being able to, to make because of this pandemic. Well, whenever you go to Rome, you're going to be encountering the Medici family. The Medici family, this Florentine family, whose wealth emerged from this incredibly gifted banker businessman, his, and he passed that wealth on to his family, they became very philanthropic. And they funded much of the cultural development all over Italy, but particularly in Florence and in Rome. <clears throat> the arts, the churches, were all the benefactors of the Medici family. Well, here in the U.S., we have a family that has had profound impact upon our society, whether people realize it or not. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of John D. Rockefeller or not, but John D. Rockefeller became the first American billionaire. As a matter of fact, there are those who have researched Rockefeller's wealth and say that if you were to put his wealth in his day in our money, he would have been worth about $350 billion. Maybe one of the wealthiest men who has ever lived. Standard Oil, of course, was his company. But I don't know if you know this about Rockefeller or not. He was a dedicated, conservative, Baptist Christian. Very committed to his Lord and his church. Now, he was generous. He learned to be a generous philanthropist. And he passed on that impetus to his family. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> Suzanne Lobel actually has coined this phrase about the Rockefellers. She says, the Rockefellers are America's Medicis. She's written a book by that title, America's Medicis. Rockefeller was a Northern Baptist Christian. He moved from Cleveland to New York City and relocated the core of his business there in New York. And he became famously committed to his local church. His pastor and the leaders of his faith were always welcome in his home. And he became very committed in his journey with the Lord. In fact, he gave generously to his local church. And to me, serves as a model. You know, it's interesting to me that there are many Christians today in America who are very benevolent and very philanthropic, but the research tells us many of them are not connected at all to their churches. That's amazing to me. Because the church is where it all starts. The, the, the church is our spiritual home. It's, it's the place where we grow and thrive. So Rockefeller's generosity and philanthropy began at his church, but then he passed that on to his family. And so the Rockefeller family, they have done some amazing things through their generosity. They have established, for example, the University of Chicago, a Northern Baptist University, Spelman College. They established the Rockefeller Foundation, which has given millions and millions of dollars toward medical research. As a matter of fact, the Rockefeller Foundation became instrumental in the discovery of penicillin which some researchers contend is the greatest medical discovery of all time. 
John Rockefeller also established Colonial Williamsburg, a desire to rescue the heritage of America and allow tourists to come and see. He also, John Jr., funded the building of the famous Riverside Church and invested himself there. The family was visiting Europe after World War I and became overwhelmed with the incredible destruction that took place to some major European landmarks. And so they financed the restoration of Chart Cathedral, Fontainebleau, the, the palace at Versailles, all restored through the generosity of the Rockefellers. Today, the Rockefeller Museum in Israel, funded by millions and millions of dollars donated by the Rockefeller family, now houses the Dead Sea Scrolls. And through their latest gift of millions of dollars, every artifact in the Rockefeller Museum in Israel is now being digitized so that scholars all over the world will now have access to all of the Dead Sea Scrolls without having to visit Israel. And they're able to study them in the privacy of their own studies and laboratories. And all of that is rooted in the conversion of John D. Rockefeller Sr. when he gave his life to Christ and decided that God had a claim on his life, he and his wife said he, and it changed the course of their life and they experienced a growing desire to bless the world. Would you not agree they were incredibly and still are successful materially? However, that desire to bless others has truly changed the lives of countless people. You see, it really is possible to counteract the compelling urge to control your own life because that's the, that's the core temptation to just control our own lives and do everything our way just for ourselves, for our own benefit. We all face that temptation. But if you will embrace the Lord as your shepherd, I would share with you this morning, I believe that's the secret that's the secret. What does it lead to? Something really incredible. Contentment. That's what it leads to. Contentment. What is contentment? It's an inner reality and a true possibility made possible by the sufficiency of our shepherd. It runs counter to that core temptation. You see, people that want to control their own lives rarely find contentment. People that want to run their own show, they rarely are characterized by contentment. They, they get drawn in this gravitational pull that leads them down a path of emptiness. What does, the, what does David say in Psalm 23? I lack nothing is what he says. Isn't that interesting? What, a, what an interesting statement. I lack nothing. That, that's, not a, that's not a boastful statement. That doesn't mean I've arrived. I've, I mean, God has already worked on me. I hope he works on you. That's not what it means. It just means that he has understood that because the Lord is his shepherd, because the Lord is his shepherd, his needs have truly been met. And something miraculous has happened inside of him. He's been changed and so that compulsion to control his own life has been answered. His needs have been met. Trust has been placed in the Lord. And the Lord can lead us to a place of inward peace, 
of true contentment. It doesn't destroy desire. It doesn't remove a, a drive from us. That's not what happens. It doesn't cause us to cease to be productive. That, that's not the point. It's a misunderstanding. Some people, when they, when they read the Bible, they get confused. They say, well, you know, the rich young ruler had to go sell everything. Well, that wasn't the instruction for everybody. That was just, that was just one instruction for one person. God's mercy and his grace and his leadership is wide and diverse. But I would tell you that commitment, it signals a change in a person's life. It, it signals a deep trust in a, in a shepherd of a person's soul. It emerges from trust. Because here's what happens when you accept the Lord as your shepherd. You start giving God the opportunity to work and provide as he sees fit. And that's a very different approach to life. You trust him to be a God of provision. Now, here's what I've learned as I've studied the Bible and as I've just walked with the Lord for a long time. I've learned that God's provision, first of all, it may look very different than the way I would do it. <laughs> God's provision may be different than what we expect. For example, the Jews longed to be rescued from Egypt. And guess what? God delivered them. And where did he lead them to? The wilderness. Now that was not the way they would have drawn it up. But God's deliverance and his provision are very different than perhaps what they would have drawn up. As a matter of fact, even while they were in the wilderness, his provision looked very different, didn't it? As he provided manna for them. It was, yet it was his grace and his love for them and his guidance and his presence was there with them. And they could, they could experience his glory in very personal ways as they saw his glory there in the tabernacle in that pillar of cloud that would guide them from place to place. So God's provision sometimes looks different, but it's his presence that he brings us. That's the true gift. When you invite the Lord into your life and allow him to be your shepherd, then you have his presence with you. What a true gift that is. In that relationship with him, it builds depth, it offers hope, it brings joy to our lives. It's transformational. And it's the kind of thing that if you've never had it, it just can't be explained to someone. It has to be experienced. I can't explain to you necessarily the beauty and the richness of the presence of God in my life during some of the, those most challenging moments. I don't know how to explain it to you. I can tell you about it, but you need to go through it yourself and experience his provision and his presence in his way according to his timetable. It's miraculous. It changes your life. It reshapes you, changes your perspective. It gives you an eternal view. You no longer see things the same way because you're no longer in charge. You're allowing him to be in charge. And he brings about a change in our lives. I remember reading about a young man who wanted to visit the famous Rabbi Hafez Shaim. And he found that he was located in this particular place and he went to see him and he says he went in and, and this famous Rabbi Shaim, he, he has a, a, a sparsely decorated home, a bunch of books and everything, but hardly any furniture. And the man said to him, Rabbi, I'm sorry, but where's all your furniture? And the rabbi looked at him and said, well, where's yours? And he said, well, I'm a visitor here. And the rabbi said, so am I. <laughs> it's funny how walking with the Lord starts to change your perspective a little bit. You begin to see things a little differently. 
And God's provision looks different, doesn't it? This, this month, those of us who are invested and engaged in mission, and many of us who are followers of Jesus, we have found great inspiration in the stories of men like Jim Elliott. In fact, in January, we celebrated the anniversary of his martyrdom. We marked it as he was taking the gospel to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. But in January of 1956, he and Nate Saint and several colleagues decided it was time to actually go and physically encounter this particular tribal group. And they were brutally murdered and became martyrs of the faith. One could very easily look at that and say, well, where was God's provision for those families? Where was God's provision for Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and his colleagues? Well, the little small journal that Jim Elliott left behind and his story has inspired millions of Christians. Untold thousands have given their lives to missions because of his example. And Jim Elliott is fine right now, isn't he? He's, he's fine. His death was brutal. Yes, it was tragic. Absolutely. But it's in his martyrdom. Who knows how many people have been won to the kingdom because so many people have felt the call to missions after reading and hearing that inspiring story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from the Confessor's Church standing against Nazi Germany and there right at the end of the war losing his life. Where was God's provision for Bonhoeffer? Well, you find God's provision in those deep reflections, in those letters, in those devotionals that were penned in a Nazi prison as a man's heart was ablaze and his mind was on fire. And who knows, had he not been through that experience, you may have never heard of him. But today, Christians around the world are inspired by his messages, his examples. How God shepherds people is different in different circumstances. And you know what? I trust him because he's good. And he may shepherd me one way and shepherd you another. But I trust him because he has the perspective. And he is the one who is our provider. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd. He changes us. And we learn the beauty of trusting him, being used by him to be a blessing to others. It's amazing when you allow the Lord to become your shepherd. You can't chart it out on a chart. You can't, you can't cipher it. You can't put it in a one, two, three step perhaps. But what a journey. What a, what a rich tapestry he can make of your life if you'll decide that you no longer need to be your own shepherd, but you need to be shepherded by him the change that can be wrought in your life and in your heart is powerful. It's different for everybody. Zacchaeus, remember that story? Zacchaeus was this wealthy, successful tax collector. And guess who he met? Jesus. And when Jesus transformed Zacchaeus, what did he do? He quit cheating. <laughs> he quit cheating everybody. And then not only that, he knew that he had cheated many in the community. He paid them back with interest. And then he took half of what he had and he gave it away. But what does that imply? Guess what he did with the other half? He kept it and lived on it. And the presumption is then he engaged himself honorably in something that was imposed upon the Jews, this taxation system. Somebody had to do it. And so the presumption is Zacchaeus was then able to do it 
with integrity. And he no longer was living a life where he was in charge of his own life. He submitted himself to a shepherd. Acts 4, verse 26, we first meet Joseph, whose nickname was Barnabas. And you remember what this man did? He, he, he decided to sell a piece of property. And after he had sold the property, out of a desire to be generous, he brought the proceeds and he gave it to the apostles and said, use this for the church. And he continued to serve faithfully. Acts chapter 12, verse 12, Mary, the mother of John Mark, the Bible says. The church was needing a place to gather, a place to meet, a place to pray. And guess what? Mary, the mother of John Mark, let the church use her home. She didn't sell the home and sell the property and give it to the church. She operated her house and gave it to the church. <laughs> and so the leadership and the wisdom of God is very different depending upon different circumstances. We have to trust our shepherd. But here's the beautiful thing. If we trust him and we give ourselves to him and we allow him to truly lead us in that dynamic walk with him that is an incredible adventure, he can actually lead me and you to counteract a basic impulse in every human's life and he can lead us to a place of contentment. Who knows? You might even get to the point to where you don't just read what this psalm says. You can actually say it and mean it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What a profound testimony. Praise God he has chosen to shepherd us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today we, we want to thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we really live. Are we... We all face the temptation, the, the desire, if you will, to just be in charge of our own lives, to just trust ourselves, to somehow just flex our muscles and be independent and be in charge. Lord, we, we all know what that feels like. We also know where it leads. We know how destructive it can be. And we know that it can lead to inner turmoil. It can lead to brokenness in our families and in our relationships. It can allow us to be totally consumed by, by things that in the, at the end of the day may not matter, but they can become so huge, so huge in our minds. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that you've offered us a path, a life that's different than that. And it's all rooted in the relationship with you as our shepherd. So I pray right now, Lord, for the people within the sound of my voice here in this room, those who are joining us virtually who truly need to embrace this truth that you are our shepherd and that we really would allow you to become our master, our Lord, and that you would give us the ability to counteract those natural impulses and that regardless of our station in life, that you would create within us a true desire to, to know you and serve you and be a vessel that you can use for your glory and Lord, that you'll create within us a true heart of generosity and joy that can be so useful in your hands and can bless so many others. Lord, may it be true of all of us. It's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.